0: Mark chapter 8, we'll start at verse 11 and read down to verse 21. Jesus has now come out of the Gentile territory, the Decapolis, the Greek territory, now has come back into Jewish territory. And here we see in chapter 8, he starts toward the cross. We are two years into his ministry. So we're now looking at the final year of the earthly life of Jesus and quickly starts going toward Jerusalem. And as he goes, he's teaching along the way. Here we see teaching Pharisees and also his disciples. Grass with us in the flowers of faith, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 11. The Pharisees came and they began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. He said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread. They only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out. "'Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees "'and the leaven of Herod.' "'They began discussing with one another "'the fact that they had no bread, "'and Jesus, aware of this, said to them, "'Why are you discussing the fact "'that you have no bread? "'Do you not yet perceive or understand? "'Are your hearts hardened? "'Having eyes, do you not see, "'and ears, do you not hear?' Do you not remember? Okay, when I broke the five, li- when I broke the five loaves or for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand join me as we pray father help us help us give us eyes to see for eyes that have been covered for from years and years and years of running and neglect and ignoring God would you drop the scales would you unstop ears make them hear You make a heartbeat today for Jesus. I ask you to help us. In his name we pray. Amen. may be seated. Spent most of yesterday on an airplane. Flew out of here yesterday morning to Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, arrived back late last night. And if you've spent any time traveling lately, through the Charlotte Douglas International Airport makes you almost believe in purgatory. (laughs) Almost. Traveled to Birmingham yesterday because Steve Adams, who is our executive pastor, he was preaching the funeral of his sister, Kathy. Contracted a brain tumor about five years ago, they found out by accident, and she fought a courageous Christian, fine Christian woman, Fought a great battle. She had only been married three years. She died when she was 57 years old. Spent most of her life single, married, and then brain tumor. Her husband, Brian, a fine Christian man, was there. And, and, And seeing what felt like a sad, and in many ways was a sad day, it's good to watch Steve stand up and open a Bible with with hope and strength and be able to talk about the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus and the hope of heaven. It's good for us to have that kind of of strength and hope because we live in a world that has no hope. If you have any access to social media or even the news, you probably have seen the atrocities. How can one human treat another human like that? See the terror? Women, children, babies? In the middle of such pain, in the middle of such terror, in the middle of that war, you, you, can have joy and strength and hope in the gospel. This passage tells us, this morning I want to get to it, and I want you to see that Jesus saves all who come to him. What do we preach? We preach a gospel that Jesus will save all. He'll save you. All who come to him. This passage is a fairly fairly long passage. It's really split up into two sections. Shows us two different groups and two ways that Jesus deals with different people. The one group is in verse 11 and 12 and 13. Those are the Pharisees. He's going to deal harshly with them. The next group is his disciples from verse 14 down to verse 21. And there you see him dealing patiently with people that are his but are not yet completely getting it. Several things to notice how, about how Jesus saves. So let's go through and read the passage like we've been doing <clears throat> so you can understand it so it feels a little bit like a Bible study. Then we'll come back and make some uh, sermonic, sermonic application. Join me there in verse 11. <clears throat> you know he's back in Jewish territory because verse 11 says the Pharisees have come. Religious leaders of the day in Judaism, Pharisees and Sadducees. Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. Pharisees were closer to what we would say is Old Testament theology, but have lost their way with worldliness. The text says that they came and started arguing, began to argue, see that word? They are disputing. They are not asking genuine questions. It's one thing for somebody to have a question. It's another thing altogether to attack. They are attacking him. Text says in verse verse 11, they started to argue with him. Now they're asking for a sign. My question is, where have you guys been? Two years Jesus has been doing signs. Healing deaf people, healing blind people, casting out demons, providing bread—five thousand people, four thousand people. You want a sign? They asked the question: "Show us a sign from heaven." Notice what Mark tells us, and Mark tells us in verse eleven: they did that to test him, to test him. There's been another person that tried to test Jesus in Mark chapter one. His name is Satan. Mark is saying those Pharisees are devils. Jesus must have thought so too. Verse 12 says that he sighed deeply in his spirit. You know what that feels like. There's this weird mix of anger and sadness. He sighs. This is an amplification. We saw him do this over in chapter 7. This word is only found here. It's not found anywhere else in the New Testament but here it's just an amplification. It sighs deeply, and Mark says it's in his spirit. And as he did, he asked the question, why does this generation look for a sign? Matthew 16 tells us that he says, why does this generation look for a sign? There's only one sign they're going to get. It's the sign of Jonah. Here, Mark just tells us, he, he tells them, you're, you're not getting a sign. And verse 13 uh, is this here is this pearls before swine. Here is Jesus saying, there's enough of that. Mark frames it. The language is judgment language. Verse 13 says that he turned and left, got in the boat. He's not going to have this conversation with the Pharisees ever again. Walk out. Jesus has left. This is a really bad way for him to, I mean, it's hard to read. These Pharisees, they are going to be lost. They are going to hell. Here is judgment. Jesus has left. They've seen his miracles. They've heard his message. And all they do is keep asking for more. Jesus has turned. This this opportunity is gone. So now we join him in the book. With the disciples. Verse 14. And Mark gets right into it. Now, they had forgotten. Somebody's job. There are Twelve of them rotated around. Somebody's got the job. Make sure we have enough bread to eat. Somebody forgot. How could you forget? I mean, there were 12 baskets full when there were 5,000 people. We have seven hampers full. We've had more bread. We could have fed every pigeon in Galilee. How did you forget? They forgot bread. So they're having a discussion there in the boat. There's only one loaf. Maybe Mark put that in there to say only one loaf. Some people think Mark is alluding to Jesus. There's one. Jesus being the bread of life. I don't know that that's the case, but it's interesting. They got one loaf. They're discussing this, and Jesus hears that, and he gives them a warning in verse 15. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of the Herodians or Herod. Beware, uh, Matthew 16, he adds the Sadducees. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and Herod. So they think he's still talking about bread. Verse 16, so they started discussing with one another the fact that they have no bread. They're still having this conversation. Jesus has brought it up. Obviously now Jesus is mad about the fact that they don't have any bread. How could you forget the bread? And Jesus, verse 17, aware that they are having that discussion starts a battery of questions. There are nine questions there. I mean, just one after the other. Look, look at the questions. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Don't you Remember? I mean, I've done it twice now. Verse 19. Then he goes into life experience. Okay, I've asked you a bunch of questions. Now, I'm going to take you back there. You just just go with me, and you answer the question. You remember, you were there. Verse 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 people, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. By the way, having these two listed here, Uh, Would indicate that Jesus not only did it twice he recalls the numbers he uses the exact numbers he even uses the different words for baskets and he says to them you were standing there you saw what happened do you you remember you experienced it okay what about the 4,000 verse 20 and the seven for the 4,000 how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up they experienced it remember seven You're worried about one, having one loaf? Verse 21, don't you, here's what he says to them. Do you understand? Several things to notice about how Jesus saves. Let's begin with uh, the Pharisees first. Let's begin with how he deals with those that have rejected him, that hate him. Here's the first one, number one. Jesus saves on his terms. 11, 12, and 13. Jesus saves on his terms. Be careful how you talk about how the Lord, Jesus, how Jesus saves people. Oftentimes we will say that God accepts you as you are. I would just offer up, God does not accept you as you are. The whole gospel message is that God has rejected you as you are. As you are, you are a sinner in deserving of God's wrath. Your life has not been one that glorified him. God does not accept you as you are. If he did, we wouldn't need Christ. God accepts Jesus, the perfect man, and he accepts any man or woman that is in Jesus. But notice that Jesus doesn't argue. Verse 11 tells us that they joined him there. They want to dispute. They want to debate. They want to argue. Be careful if you get drug into things. The Pharisees came and they started to argue with him. Jesus doesn't argue. He doesn't debate. There are no negotiations with Jesus. There's not any, look, God and I have an understanding that I'm going I'm to make a contract with God on my own terms. There's not any of that. The Pharisees is very clear. That Jesus does not throw pearls in front of swine. Jesus offers up free life. He offers it to you, life and forgiveness and hope and joy. But you come on his terms, not yours. Jesus doesn't argue. Verse 11, notice something else in verse 11. Jesus does not perform. He, He does not do a performance. He is not a circus act. Verse 11 says, that the Pharisees came, they began to argue with him, and here's what they want. They're seeking from him a sign. Do us a trick. This seems ludicrous to me after all that he has done. After all he's done through the years of ministry, two years of ministry, walking that land, it's not a very big part of the world, they will have heard all that he's done, and what they wanted was a show. Do something for us. Think of all the miracles that Jesus did. The miracles that Jesus did, he did them <clears throat> not to dazzle a crowd, not to impress people. He did the miracles. The miracles are there because it ministered to the needs of people and it showed his authority. It ministered to the needs of people and showed that he authoritatively was the son of God. When Jesus saves, he does not do a performance to satisfy curiosity. I think of some some of the uh, charlatan false teachers today. Some of what passes for Christian worship service and what passes for the power of God is nothing more than trickery. Jesus says, "If if you can't accept what you've already seen, Jesus doesn't argue, he He doesn't perform. Let me tell you what else he doesn't do. He doesn't yield to temptation. He doesn't yield. Verse 11, Mark tells us, the Pharisees came, they began to argue with him. They were seeking from him a sign from heaven and they were seeking to test him. You see that word test? You might want to circle it. Uh, It's used earlier in Mark chapter 1 to describe what Satan was doing with Jesus when Satan came to tempt him. This is an insult. This is... This is impertinence. This is is Mark saying, the Pharisees are like Satan. We take take great comfort in Jesus resisting all temptation. He was tempted in every way that we are, yet did not fail, did not fall to temptation like we do. So we claim not our ability, we claim his ability. So the Pharisees come to tempt Jesus. <clears throat> and what Mark has done is put the Pharisees in league, with, in league with Satan. Jesus doesn't argue, he doesn't perform, he doesn't yield. Instead, he offers an exchange. Now, look, this is what Jesus offers you on his terms his life for your life. You've lived your life in a way that does not glorify God. He lived completely glorifying God. You can have that. His death, on, this is the exchange, his death on the cross for your guilt, for your sin, that's why Jesus died on the cross, to receive punishment for sin as a man in the place of men and women. When you become a Christian, that's how you become a Christian. You believe that. Does that for the glory For his glory and not your own. Jesus saves on his own terms. That's the first thing you'll notice when he deals with the Pharisees. Let me give you something else. Number two. Number two. Jesus saves with, with, with passion. With passion. There is emotion. There is feeling. We talk about God being the God of love. Jesus, when he saves, it's not just a transaction. Sometimes you get too deep into theology and you think, you, you're learning all of the terms. It can become cold and not feeling. We forget Jesus saves with passion. I'm sure where I get that. You'll see in verse 12 the text says that he sighed deeply in his spirit. It's the only time you'll ever see that. He sighed deeply in his spirit. We've seen him sigh before. We'll see him really feel at the grave of Lazarus. We know that Jesus. Feels. And why is he sighing deeply in his spirit? It's not for his disciples. He's sighing deeply in his spirit because he's thinking about those Pharisees that have missed it, had all the theology in the world, and they're going to go to hell. It's intensified. Jesus looks at the Pharisees, he looks at their hard hearts, and it gives him no pleasure to know Jesus is not like us. He's not like us. We take some, some terrible pleasure in knowing that the bad guy is obliterated. It's not Jesus. He looks at them and it, the text says that he breathes deeply. He takes no pleasure in knowing that the Pharisees have rejected him. of all people in the world, they should have been ready for him. He takes no pleasure in knowing that, that you would remain in your sins. Remember him there in Matthew 23? You crest the hill and look over in Jerusalem, and Jesus said, "Jerusalem, Jerusalem." The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you like a hen does her chicks. But you're not willing. Look, are you willing? Are you finally willing today? Has God gotten you to the point in your life where you're finally Maybe you thought God hated you. Maybe you thought God was after you. You get a picture here that Jesus, even his enemies, he looks at them and he sighs deeply. What does the Lord say in Ezekiel thirty-three eleven? God says, I have no pleasure, no pleasure in the death of the wicked. My pleasure would be that the wicked would turn from his way and live. And then he offers the call, turn back. Turn back from your evil way. Verse 12, Jesus says, you see him there. uh, Truly I say to you, we've seen that one other time in Mark. Truly I say to you, you, anytime you read Jesus saying, truly I say to you, you need to perk your ears up. We're going to see that over and over again as we march toward the cross. This is really the second time we've seen it. Truly I say to you, verse 12, there's no sign given this generation. You want a sign? Mark shortens it for us. <clears throat> Something happens, there are a couple of people standing around the incident. Mark sees it one way. Matthew says, there's a fuller account, Matthew 16. Matthew says that Jesus told them, There's no sign I'm giving you except the sign of Jonah. That's the sign. What is the sign of Jonah? And then Jesus explains, just as Jonah was thrown into the belly of a great fish for three days and then came out in the same way, the Son of Man will be crucified, buried, resurrected. You know what Jesus is saying? There's not any more signs. There's only one sign that matters. Here's the offer of the gospel. There's only one sign, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. That's the gospel. What is the gospel? Let me maybe lay it out so we all have it clearly. The gospel. The gospel tells us that God is a good God who created you in his image. But the image of God in your life has been disfigured by your own sin, You've seen a pattern of sin in your life. Maybe it's a pattern of addiction, of rebellion, whatever. That has made it so that you are separated from God and under the judgment of God. But God doesn't leave you in your sins. God has pursued you through the gospel of Jesus, through what Jesus is saying here. God has given us his son, Jesus, who lived perfectly in our place. And at the cross, that's where he takes your guilt. At the cross, all of the judgment you deserve is poured out on Jesus. Jesus died in your place. God raised him from the dead. And the offer of the gospel is the free free gift. If you'll put your faith in Jesus and turn from your sin, that's the sign. You want a sign? Here's the sign. It's the gospel. The promise is that Jesus will save everyone who comes to him. He saves, though, on his terms. He saves with, with passion. I'm going to give you something. I need to turn the screw just a little bit further. Here's the third thing. Jesus saves through judgment. Through judgment. There is judgment. The cross is judgment. Let's not turn away from judgment. Talking to an undertaker at the the funeral home yesterday. I was there early. So I walked all around the funeral home, looked in every room, something I wish I had not looked in. And finally, I met one of the undertakers, was talking to him. And uh, he, he said that churches, a lot of times, no longer are, are having uh, funerals. They don't want to have funerals in their church inside the sanctuary because uh, there's too much death and they want to focus on life. I said, Brother, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> it's been a long day yesterday. I said, That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. He said, It is? I said, Yeah, it's dumb. The the truth of Christianity is that we were dead in sin. God, in His goodness, has loved us. Jesus Christ lived perfectly, died. They buried Him, and God raised Him from the dead. We don't have funerals to focus on death, we have funerals to remind us. Jesus died and was raised, that's the hope of Christianity I preached a little mini sermon to the undertaker sitting there yesterday (laughs) it's good to be reminded, there's judgment here verse 13, let me read it to you, verse 12 and 13 he sighed deeply in his spirit and he said why does this generation seek a sign, truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation and he left them got in the boat, went away I mean, this, this, feels, uh, <clears throat> this feels like judgment to me. It, it's as if he's saying in the, here in the gospel, you've seen the signs, you have refused to believe. He got in the boat and left. The glory has departed. First Samuel 4, you know that story, right? ichabod the glory is gone god has left isn't that the feel of romans chapter one when 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 paul is describing the depravity of mankind and he talks about the gospel the power of the gospel in chapter 1 verse 16 but by the time you get to chapter 24 chapter uh, verse 24 and verse 28 he starts saying something that turns into a refrain here's what paul says in romans chapter 1 verse 28 Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Let's not forget, God will allow you to reject him. But that rejection ends in judgment. How does Jesus save? He does it on his own terms. He does it with great passion. He does it through judgment. That's how he dealt with the Pharisees. Let's spend the last few moments talking about how Jesus dealt with his people. Let's join him there. It's a longer passage. All those questions. I'll give you the fourth point. Number four. I'll just say it simply. He saves. He saves his people. They're ignorant and hard-headed and dull. They don't get it. They are frustrating, but they are his. They're his. That's, that's in verse 14 to verse 21. That's the whole discussion. He saves his people. Let me show you a couple of things. Number one, in this, in this last point, number one, we, we need sharpening. We need sharpening. We need to be sharpened. What does the Bible say? Teach us that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We we need to be sharpened. Where do I get that? Verse 14 says, they had forgotten. They forgot to get bread. They forgot he could make bread. They forgot who they're dealing with. They just forgot. They had been in his presence. They had heard his teaching. They had seen his miracles. They forgot. Mark says there's one loaf there. could be talking about Jesus as the bread of life, but we need to be sharpened and see God working in the events of our life to bring about his will. We need to be be aware that God is doing something, 10,000 things that you can't see, doing them all at once, some of them frustrating, some of them delightful, some of them tragic, and he's doing all of that to bring about his perfect plan for your life. We need to be sharpened. Not only that, we need a warning. It's the warning. So they're going to talk about bread back and forth in verse 14. They're giving some discussion. And he cautioned them, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Matthew uh, 16 tells us he also included the leaven of the Sadducees. Leaven is yeast, not a baker. Yeast you put in with flour and it makes it rise. It's a strange process. Fermentation, for those of you that make Yeast rolls and bread. You have some sort of starter kit that sounds like poison to me, but it works out really good. Has yeast in it. And yeast is something very small, very small amount that works throughout. the Bible says it works throughout the entire loaf. Yeast in the New Testament, almost every single time it's brought up, it is described as evil. Just a little bit, affects the entire loaf, so much so that some rolls are yeast rolls. Jesus said, don't, don't let a little bit of that Phariseeism, a little bit, beware. Don't let that get in. Don't let that legalism get in. Don't let that lack of grace, don't let that merciless, don't, you, don't let that work in. Don't, don't let the yeast of the the Sadducees, Matthew 16. Don't let that, that worldliness, the Sadducees deny the resurrection, they didn't believe in the power of God. Don't let that, don't let that seep into your church life, your understanding of God. Don't let that come in and affect then the entirety of who you are, and what you believe. Here he tells us, Mark tells us, he said, Don't let the yeast of the uh, of the Herodians or, or the yeast of Herod. We've seen Herod come in and out of the, the gospel. Herod's the one who uh, had John the Baptist beheaded because of the way his stepdaughter danced in some terrible way in front of him. So he's lustful and worldly, especially when it comes to sexuality. Jesus says, don't let that little yeast get into." because it's rottenness, it's, it's insidious, and it works into the whole loaf, and the whole loaf is affected. It's good for us to, to receive a warning, especially in our culture. It's good for us to know the warning. Beware of the yeast of the world. Just a little bit affects the entirety. I don't have time to stay there. We need a warning. We need teaching, we need teaching. Verse 17 and 18, all of these questions, all of these questions are designed to teach. That's what Jesus is doing. You'll notice the questions, didactic form. He is teaching them about himself. do you see what he's doing there? Verse 17, Jesus whoever of this, said, why are you discussing? Do you have no bread? Don't you perceive? Don't you understand? Are your hearts hard? Don't you have eyes to see, ears to hear? Verse 18, don't you remember... That's why why we do some of the things we do. Why do we start every single worship service with the Bible? We remember it's God's Word with prayer. Our songs are filled speaking about God. Why do we open the Bible? Why Why do I give you the gospel every single Sunday? To remember. Why do we baptize? Buried with Him. We are remembering Raised to walk in new life. We're remembering what Jesus has done. Why do we take the Lord's Supper? We remember. Jesus says to them, remember. Something else he teaches us. He teaches us by life experience. Life experience. Look at the questions of verse 19, 20, and 21. He takes them back to two events they have witnessed. They were there. 19, 20, and 21. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said 12. He asked the same question for the 4,000. How many baskets? They said seven. He, He takes them back to what they have experienced. Now look, maturity in your life comes through suffering. Why have you walked through the suffering? To grow you, mature. Now and then, Jesus will take you back and say, now do you remember what happened there? I walked you through that." Humility in life comes from struggle. Why do we struggle? Because you thought you could do it yourself. It's good for you to learn. You're not that strong. Humility. Perseverance comes by faith. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, 4, and 5? Here's what Paul wrote. This struck me this week. Paul said, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Can you imagine? We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Brothers and sisters, Jesus saves all who come to him. He saves you on his terms. Believe in life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He saves you with passion. The Bible teaches that God loves you. He saves us through judgment. Jesus died on the cross and took the judgment that you deserve. God saves his people. Today is my prayer that you become a man, a woman of God, through faith. In Jesus, do you join me as we pray together? With your heads bowed this morning, let's go to the Lord in a moment of prayer and, con- and commitment. God has spoken to your heart about giving your life to Jesus Christ. As we sing this morning, if you want to come forward and talk to someone, it's a good way to do that. Our pastors are here. If you don't feel comfortable with that after church, our pastors will be in the lobby. We're all around out there. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to give your life to Jesus. God has spoken to your heart through the preached word. We invite you to come forward as we sing this morning. Father, thank you for the grace that you give us in Jesus for the joy of gathering together in worship. We pray that the seed of your word has been planted, that there would be great fruit for the kingdom of God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand please as we sing together?